Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, praise the Lord. We've been talking on uh, Sunday mornings and Sunday nights now for a few weeks about revival praying. Thank God we're in revival. This church is in revival. I'm experiencing revival. Everybody say that. I'm experiencing revival. Glory to God. We have to stir ourselves up to lay hold of everything that God has for us and everything he's doing. We have to lay hold of it. Amen. And so we're in revival. We believe it. God is moving. Praise God. But we found out that revival and what we've experienced in this church, revival has come as a result of prayer. We know that. That's what happened in this church. We began to pray. Uh, 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 a good portion of us began to pray several years ago. And that prayer, uh, that, that move of God in the area of prayer has ushered in revival, brought revival to our church. It's changed our church. And we know historically, just looking at the revivals that have taken place throughout the body of Christ, over the years, we see that revival is invariably uh, the product of prayer. And uh, prayer brings revival. Prayer grows revival. There are, I said this early on in some of my other teachings, that revivals vary in strength and scope. And so the strength of a revival, the scope of revival, can increase and very often uh, they do. Revivals start very small sometimes and, and almost uh, imperceivably, people a lot of times aren't even aware that something has happened until it's gained a little bit of momentum and then it continues to grow. Well, revival grows by continued prayer. Amen. You can't start revival uh, or, or usher in revival through prayer and then just coast in revival, uh, prayer uh, sustains revival. It causes it to grow and it sustains revival. And we're interested in all three of those things. We're, we're interested in, in initiating revival. We're interested in growing revival and sustaining revival. Amen. Because God uh, moves uh, progressively uh, as people yield to him and as hearts are open to him. And so uh, we're in revival. And so we're talking about revival praying. Uh, what is involved in praying during times of revival? Go with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy. And let's look at the second chapter of 1 Timothy. <clears throat> second chapter. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Verse 1 says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now we pointed out the fact early on that there are different kinds of prayers. There is different kinds of praying. A lot of people have the idea that, well, prayer is just prayer. And so, uh, you know, it's all, it's all the same. But it isn't the same. There are different kinds of prayers. The Bible identifies at least nine different kinds of prayer. There's the prayer of faith that we're well uh, aware of. The prayer of faith 
is a prayer that you primarily pray for yourself. And, in, and it follows you knowing what the will of God is from his word. You see something in the word of God that you know belongs to you because the Bible says it does. And, and when that knowledge of that comes, faith comes. And so the prayer of faith is asking for that thing, believing when you ask, believing that you receive it, and then standing in faith and giving thanks to God. That's the prayer of faith. It's a prayer, uh, again, that's primarily you pray it for yourself, for something that belongs to you from the Word of God. So there's the prayer of faith. There's the prayer of consecration. That's the prayer that it is uh, proper to add the words, if it be your will. Uh, many times people add those few words to every prayer they pray. Unwittingly, they negate or invalidate the prayer they, they just prayed because they asked God to do something. And then they turn around and said, if it be your will, which means you don't know whether it's his will or not. So, we'll say, how can you be in faith if you don't know it's the will of God? You have no business praying for anything that you don't know is the will of God. Amen. And so there's the, so the if it be your will is uh, is a formula and uh, a, uh, and a component to the prayer of consecration. There's also the prayer of committal, where you cast your cares upon the Lord. That's called the prayer of committal. There's the prayer of praise and worship, uh, the prayer of agreement. There is united prayer. How many have I'm, How many is that that I've given you? Can anybody add that up? That's five. Uh, there's the uh, the there's united prayer. Did I say that? Yeah. There is the prayer of supplication and the prayer of intercession, and uh, that's what we're really focusing on in these lessons are the prayers of supplication, the prayers of intercession. We're going to talk a little bit more about the un- about the concept of united prayer. But uh, there, there are all these different kinds, and I've, and I've left out a couple, but uh, there are these different kinds of prayer, and they have different rules or principles that regulate those kinds of praying. I've already identified how that people try to take one of the principles of the prayer of consecration, and they try to use it in the prayer of faith. They're praying the prayer of faith or, or, or attempting to, to believe God for him to move in their life, to do something, to, that they'll have something that the word of God says is theirs. That's the prayer of faith. And when you, and when you ask that prayer, you believe you receive it. You just thank God for it. And, and that settles it. But see, people bring a principle from the prayer of consecration over into the prayer of faith. And they say, if it be your will, let it be done. Well, they just ruined the prayer of faith and negated it because you can't use the principles from one prayer type of praying unless they apply in the other prayer, in the other kinds of prayers. Some of the principles uh, are, uh, do cross over into other uh, kinds of prayers, but there are specific principles to each one of these prayers that only work there. And so we need to be smart. We need to be intelligent in our praying, amen? And so we're talking again about the prayers of supplication and intercession and, and eventually united prayer. Now, I've been saying some things in, in these meetings the last couple of weeks that, uh, that I've really never preached on before. I've never really covered. We've never really gone uh, in this kind of depth and detail uh, into these prayers before because, uh, well, there are a lot of reasons why, but we haven't. And so uh, for, for, because of that, I know a lot of people have been out. I want to cover particularly some things we said last week because we need to hear them again because they're new 
and we need greater understanding and revelation. These things need to simmer on the inside of us so that, so that we have uh, a full understanding of what we're talking about. So we've been talking about, we talked about the prayer of supplication. Last week we were talking about the prayer of intercession. And uh, if you'll remember, uh, we said that the prayer of intercession is, is defined, intercession is defined as standing in the gap in prayer between a person or persons who have provoked judgment upon themselves through their wrongdoing and the actual execution of that judgment. Let me read that again. Intercession is standing in the gap in prayer between a person or persons who have provoked judgment upon themselves through their wrongdoing and the actual ex- actual execution of that judgment. Or to put it more simply, intercessory prayer is prayer to hold back judgment. We noticed by looking at uh, a couple of different passages in the Bible that just like faith uh, moves God to bless. Smith Wigglesworth said it this way. He said, there's something about faith that will cause God to pass over a million people just to find one person who's believing him. One person, something about faith. It just, it, faith invokes God's blessing. It moves him. Well, we found out that sin not doesn't evoke a blessing. It provokes a curse. Sin provokes God. Where, where faith moves God to bless, sin moves God to, to, uh, to judge. It, it provokes his anger. And we see that over and over in the Old Testament. Now, we know we're living in a day of grace, but, but justice is still a, a characteristic of God. And sin provokes judgment. It provokes God's anger. And unless someone, uh, if someone persists in sin over a long period of time, or if someone's sin is particularly grievous and will cause harm to the body of Christ, uh, that provokes God. He has to do something about that. He has to put a stop to that. And unless someone prays, either that person could come to their senses and repent. That's the best thing. But a lot of times people who are in sin are blinded to their own sin. They're bound in some way. And unless someone else stands in the gap and prays for them, then judgment will come upon them. But it can be, it can be postponed uh, through someone's intercession. So that's what the prayer of intercession is all about. Now we make this statement uh, again that there was a period of time a few years ago where the prayer of intercession uh, was abused. The, the uh, awareness of intercession had, had reached such a place where some people viewed intercession as the only real kind of prayer. That everything, if you really wanted to get into prayer, you had to get into the prayer of intercession. And so everybody became very popular for people to have intercessory prayer meetings. We're going to get together and intercede. It's really not scriptural to have any one type of prayer meeting, except maybe, you know, praise and worshiping God, because we're told to do that. But 
When it comes to prayer, it's scriptural to have a prayer meeting and then follow the Holy Spirit. And if he leads us into intercession, then we'll go that way. If he leads us into supplication, we'll go that way. If he leads us into some other form of praying, then we'll flow with that. It's more important to be yielded to the Holy Spirit and just uh, obey his direction and his leading in prayer. But when people got into error back in the 1980s and 90s on, on the subject of intercession, uh, everything was intercessory prayer. It was, like, it was like it was the only kind. And uh, people started having intercessory prayer meetings. And there are some elements of intercession that we have just touched on, some more that we will touch on in, in more detail as we go forward, because those were some of the... Uh, uh, elements involved in intercessory prayer, they started putting things on. In other words, they started in the flesh trying to act certain spiritual uh, energies and certain spiritual manifestations and demonstrations. They tried to act those things out in the flesh, just put them on. Well, you can imagine how, how, how uh, squirrely that got real quick. And so uh, a lot of people had to pull back from intercessory prayer. But I tell you what, we're living in a time today where intercessory prayer must come back to the forefront, but we must be wise enough to keep it within the scope of what the Bible says and, and intercede in the power of the Spirit. To be most effective, the prayer of intercession must be done at the prompting of and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. There's, a, there's only so far we can go in interceding uh, uh, without the help of the Holy Spirit. We can, we can do, we can intercede for people to a degree with our understanding, but to, to be most effective because of the, because of the nature of the needs involved, uh, uh, we have to have the help of the Holy Spirit in praying. Amen. So this scripture we read today, just sort of as a text, talks about uh, different kinds of praying, and it talks about supplication and intercession for all men. Uh, this applies to unbelievers especially, but also to believers. Because sometimes believers get themselves into trouble through their wrongdoing. And, uh, and they become uh, blinded, as it were. They have a blind spot in, uh, in their lives concerning where they've gotten into error. And sometimes intercession needs to be made for Christians as well. Amen? Now, uh, let's go over to and pick up some things we talked about last time. Let's go over to Job chapter 9, Job the ninth chapter. <clears throat> Pointed out that Job is the oldest book of the Old Testament. It predates uh, the writing of the book of Genesis and on forward. In uh, the ninth chapter of Job, verse 30, start in verse 30. He said, if I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. What's he saying? What, what Job is, is acknowledging is his own sinfulness. Job is aware that he is not right with God. He is aware of his own sin nature. He's aware that there's nothing he can do to cleanse himself. 
that he is in a state, a fallen state where God is concerned. And he said, I can wash myself, clean myself up, do everything I can, but I'm still going to fail. I'm still not uh, ready to come into your presence. I still deserve darkness. I still deserve rejection. I still deserve the pit in spite of my best efforts. And then he goes on to say in verse 32, for he, talking about God, is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go together, go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. The Amplified Bible adds the the thought, wish to God there was. Would to God there was. He said, there is no mediator. I'm lost. I'm undone. I can't even talk to God. He's not even a man like I am. There's no communication. Uh, There's no mediator between us that can put his hand on me and a hand on God and bring us together in in counsel. He said, "There, there isn't anyone. Well, we, of course, we know the answer to that, that Jesus is now the mediator between God and men. Isn't that right? Go over with me to Isaiah, the 59th chapter. We looked at this verse. Isaiah 59. In verse number... In the... Picking up in verse 15, now if you go back, we don't have time to go back. If you look at the previous verses, it's really a litany of the fallen state and the sinful state of the nation of Israel. And, uh, and so closing that out in verse 15, it says, So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man. Well, that's the same thing. Job saw, God saw, the Lord saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Thank God, Jesus became the intercessor for mankind. He is the mediator between God and men. He is the man that put, has put his hand on, on the human race and the hand on, on his father God and has brought us together through the gospel. Amen? And so thank God that Jesus is in that role as the, as the intercessor for the human race. Now we looked at a lot of verses last time, but let's look again at Romans chapter 8, talking about this very thing. Romans, the 8th chapter. And let's look at verse number 34. Romans 8, 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Notice Christ makes intercession for us. Christ stands in the gap uh, uh, between us and God when we miss the boat, when there's sin in our life, when there are things that displease the Lord, he is there in between. He is our intercessor. Amen. Now go with me over to 
the seventh chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter seven, Hebrews chapter seven, hold your place there in Hebrews seven, go with me to first John, second chapter, we want to catch this verse, first, first John, the second chapter. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For he himself is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Here again we see the high priestly ministry of Jesus that he is our advocate and our high priest and he is constantly before the Father on our behalf. Glory to God. That's a tremendous thing to know. You know, whenever whenever you're, you're doing right, you don't need an advocate. You need an advocate when you're doing wrong. He said, he said, I'm writing to you that you do not sin, but when you do sin, if you sin, thank God we have an advocate. Thank God when we sin, we're not thrown out of the family. Amen. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. And there were many priests because they were prevented by, by death from continuing talking about the Old Testament priest. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Glory to God. For three and a half years, Jesus trained his disciples and his apostles But since his ascension into heaven for nearly 2,000 years, Jesus has been faithfully interceding for the men of this earth. Not just Christians, but he says, notice, he's interceding for those who come to God through him. So he's talking about coming to God. He is, Jesus has been interceding, praying the prayer of intercession before the Father for nearly 2,000 years for the people of this planet. Unsaved and saved alike. What, what a dignity this adds to prayer. When we realize that Jesus is the supreme intercessor. He is the, he is the model intercession, intercessor. And so it makes, it, it shows us how holy, how privileged uh, the ministry of intercession is. Because Jesus himself, this is what he gives himself to. He ever lives to make intercession. You would think just going to the cross and, and putting away the sins of the world would be enough. 
And we have the idea that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that he ascended into heaven. And the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of God. And we've kind of unconsciously had the idea that he sat down. He's got himself a glass of Kool-Aid and uh, the remote control. And he's just watching, you know, TV or something. In other words, he's just relaxing. And the Bible says that he's entered into his rest, but it's a rest of faith. How many of you know the rest of faith still is an active rest? Amen. So now we know what he's been doing at the Father's right hand. All of these 2,000 years, he's been faithfully interceding for men and women. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Now, uh, we ask this question. I know I'm going over this because this is so important. Paul uh, told Timothy, he said, I exhort that, that prayers, supplications, uh, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then he included kings, and which would be uh, government leaders and so forth, all who are in authority. And so the question that I ask is, on what ground or basis can we petition or intercede to God on behalf of others? What gives us the right? We know this, that uh, John Wesley, the founder of, of, of Methodism, Method. Method, the, the Methodist church, uh, he made this statement in his writings uh, way back in the 18th century. He said, uh, it appears that God can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. And he, and he just made that observation that it looks like God is bound uh, from doing anything. Because you think about all the different things that we're told to pray about. Just look at, go through the ministry of Jesus and look at all the things he said to pray about. One thing, for instance, he said, pray for laborers. Remember, he told his disciples, he said, the harvest is great, the the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Well, who would that be? God. Come on now, this is easy. Everybody say God. (laughs) He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest. Whose harvest is it? His, that was easy, God's. Well, if it's God's harvest, and they're God's laborers, and he's the one that's going to send them, then why doesn't he just send them? If it's his will that that laborers be sent, we know that it is, or Jesus wouldn't have told us to pray for it. If it's God's will that he send his laborers, and they are his laborers, and it's his harvest, and they need to be sent, why not just send them? Why would he ask us to pray that God would do something he can do? Something that he wills to do. Because God is limited by our prayer life. He can only do for humanity, what someone asks him to do. But now, knowing that's true, what is it that gives us the authority? What gives us the, the we have the authority because we've been told to do it, okay? The, 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 the commandment of God authorizes us, but I'm talking about more in the, in the, in the sense of, of uh, what is it that puts us in position to be effective, in praying for other people? What is it that, that, uh, that puts us, us in a position that we wouldn't otherwise be in? Where God would tell us and, and authorize us to pray for others. 
and, and even to make intercession. What is that? Well, we know that Jesus, when Jesus was here, uh, like Peter said, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. Well, when Jesus was here, he was the Christ. And he was the only person. And, and or you could say that the, the anointed one, that, that anointing and that, and that uh, uh, office was, was resident in one man, one finite man. But when Jesus was crucified and then raised from the dead, when he ascended into heaven and people began to believe on him as Lord and Savior and, born, and were born again, the Bible says that they were baptized, which means to submerge into, to place into Christ. We were baptized into Christ and we became one with him. And so now the church is the body of Christ. So now Christ is not just one man in heaven. Now listen to me. Don't don't run off and cover your ears. Christ is more than just one man in heaven like he was when he was on the earth. In heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the head and we are the body of Christ. In other words, we are one with him. He cannot be separated from us and we cannot be separated from him. We are, we are in union with Christ. We are also, because we're all in union with Christ, we're all in union with one another. That's why we are brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And so the proper way to understand Christ is that Christ is made up of the head in heaven and the body on the earth. We are the body of Christ. The head cannot do anything in the earth unless the body does something. Are you listening to me? The head cannot do anything in the earth unless the body does something. Everything the head wants to do, he must, he must, he must have a body who is in obedience and who is acting in harmony with the will of the head. When the body is doing its part, then Jesus Christ is able to do what he needs done. Well, when it comes to prayer, the Bible says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession uh, for for men. He ever, he ever lives, lives to make intercession for those who come to God through him. Well, that intercession, uh, that intercession, for it to be effective, someone here on the earth has to, has to partner with that. Because Jesus, even though Jesus was a man, now Jesus was always God, and when he became a man, he, he was still God, but he, he became a human being for a purpose. He laid aside his heavenly power and glory, his, his, the, the, 
uh, prerogatives that belonged to him uniquely as God, even though he was still God, he laid aside those prerogatives and became a man and, and humbled himself and, and was fashioned like you and I. He was limited in this life uh, to being a man. Now, he did that because someone here had to, a man had to be the one who paid the price. Because man had sinned, man was guilty. So God sent a man to pay the price of man's transgression. Do you understand that? So it was important that God, that Jesus became a man. Well, as a man, he had authority in this earth. But to have authority in the earth, you have to be in the earth. I said to have authority in the earth, you have to be in the earth. You have to be on this planet to have authority on this planet. God does not have the authority that on the earth that everybody thinks he does. You hear people say, well, God's in control. No, God is not in control. God is in control to the degree that we speak his word and do his bidding. He controls things in the earth through us. He doesn't act independently of us. If he, if he could do anything he wanted to do, he would just wave his arm and everybody on the planet would be born again. You know it's his will. He went to the cross for everybody. His grace is sufficient for everybody. His blood is sufficient. He would just wave his arm and everybody on the planet would be born again. We go into the millennium right away. Hallelujah. Well, he can't do that. He has to have people here open their hearts. And so uh, the authority, God's authority has to be exercised through his church. And if we don't exercise his authority on his behalf, his will can't be carried out. So now let's apply this to prayer. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for uh, the people of this planet, but he needs our cooperation. He needs our, uh, because we are one with him, He needs us and we are in a privileged place of being able to partner with him. And we became, and and, uh, through intercessory prayer, we become his voice of intercession on this earth. Does that make sense? He's interceding all right. But as members of his body, the church, we partake in his intercessory ministry. We partake, we become, again, we become through our intercessory prayer, we become the voice of his intercession here. If we do not take our place and give voice to his intercession here, he's greatly limited, like John Wesley said, in what he can do for mankind. I tell you, this, this, this puts prayer in an altogether different uh, league in our thinking from what we thought about it. Isn't that right? Now, in order for us to, this happened, and I'll jump ahead real briefly because I've already gotten into, into it. I jumped way ahead last week. So I'll make it a mention again. When it comes to fervency, the reason we must be fervent in prayer is because God is fervent. Jesus is fervent. 
God doesn't do anything half-heartedly. He's not half-hearted about anything. He's not, he doesn't love humanity uh, this big. He, God loves and Jesus loves people beyond anything that we can comprehend. His love is, is so uh, incomprehensible. The depth, the degree, the, let me say it like this, the, the, the fervency and the passion that he has for people is so much greater than we have. Well, when we partner with him in intercession, the reason we need to be fervent and, and we can only go so far with fervency. We're gonna, this is another point from down the road. We have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit's help, we can take up and pick up his fervency and for God to do what he wants to do because he, because he desires it, because he is so passionate about it, for us to be a fitting partner, we have to pick up some greater degree of fervency than we would ordinarily have. Because if, if I, said, like, I said it like this, if God, if God wants something done and he's 100% for it, and we pick up his will in that and we're 5% for it, and we think, oh man, we, we're down to business. We really want this. We just, but when you compare it to how bad God wants it, we're like at 5%. Well, our 5% can't bring to pass his 100%. It'll only bring to pass the 5%. Can you understand that? Because we enter in, we, we are one with him in intercession, and, and we need to pick up his spirit. We need to pick up his desire. We need to, and we, and we cannot do this on our own. We absolutely have to help, have the help of the Holy Spirit. He has to quicken us. He has to help us. And in prayer, he helps. He takes hold together with us against the infirm. We have all kinds of infirmities that prevent us from being what we should be in prayer. All kind of infirmities. And I'm not talking about physical infirmity. The word infirmity there in Romans 8 just means a weakness. You have all kinds of, you have weakness of, of, of perception. Dullness of perception. We, we have all kinds of things that keep us out because we're human, and so the Holy Spirit will help us. He'll, he'll take hold together with us and, and bring us into a greater depth in prayer so that we can lay hold more on God's desire and the depth of his desire and the depth of his fervency. And the more we do that, the, the more we pick up his heart, the stronger uh, 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 his desire begins to flow through us, then those things then can be wrought. They can be answered. God can move because someone here is picking up what God wants. Does that make sense? Now, in order to do this, I said this last, last Sunday. Oh, my goodness. Hallelujah. Well, we'll pick it up next time. Tonight, come back tonight. Praise the Lord. Part nine, come back tonight, praise the Lord. I'll just say this, love has to be the foundation for us to be able to uh, have the desires and the, and the fervency that God has. We have to love people. 
And so we'll pick that up tonight, praise God, and talk more about it. But uh, I, I sensed this morning that I, I should stay, say things again and, and bring things out a little bit. Uh, you know, it just helps to say things a little bit differently and to say them again because this is new territory for us. God is taking us as a church, God is taking us into greater depths of prayer. He's taking us up higher than we've ever been. I'm teaching things I've never taught. I've seen some things I never saw, but other things I've seen and known for a long time, and I I couldn't teach it. But, you know, if you're teaching people to drive a car, you can, you can teach people the, the, uh, 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 the rules of the road. Teach them all about it. And they can go in and take a driver's test and answer all the questions, know all the rules of the road, know what's a left-hand turn, a right-hand signal, what you know, this sign means and that means. And, and it's one, so it's one thing to know how to drive, know how a car operates, but there's some things about driving you can't learn until you get in the driver's seat. Isn't that right? Well, when it comes to prayer, you know, I've been able to take us so far over the years, I've been able to, and I've taught many times on the, on the book knowledge, you know, the, of prayer, the manual, the, and, and we've learned to pass the driving test. But it's another thing to get behind the wheel of the car. Now, when your teenager gets behind the wheel of the car with a driver's permit and you in the front seat... He is taking on another level beyond the book. Isn't that right? That's sort of been where we've been. We've been, we've been driving in prayer, but we've been learners. And, uh, and we've had our, our learner's license, and, and, we've, had, uh, and we've, had, we've had supervision. But when someone, when a, when a teenager finally crosses that threshold where they've got the time, the, the, the age and whatever they need, you know, so different now. We just drove when I was a teenager, but without a license. But uh, when they get, when they're able to drive on their own and they leave home, they're going to encounter some things that, that you really can't adequate, adequately prepare them for. Isn't that right? And, uh, and so there's a, there's a, a depth of driving that you, that you learn the further you go in it. Well, the same thing is true where prayer is concerned. And God is taking us further, thank God, in prayer. And, uh, and it's necessary for the times we're living in. It's necessary for revival that we go further, amen? So great things are happening, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, come tonight, don't miss it. You know, if you have to be out of a service, if you're on vacation or if you're serving in a children's department, you miss a service, uh, you know, by all means, go to the website. As soon as that message is put up, go there and listen. These things are vitally important for what God's doing in our church. And you just don't want to miss out on it. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.